All right, the kiddos are dismissed to go to kids' church. While they're doing with that, I'll just do some witty banter. Um, have you guys ever had an experience where you didn't fully understand God's word until you lived something out, and then it was like, oh yeah, that's very real? Well, the phrase, God's grace is sufficient, is becoming very real to me today because I've got a very bad cold and I'm hacking up a lung and here I have to preach to you guys. So his grace is going to be sufficient for us tonight, isn't it? So um, just excited to be here guys with you guys tonight and share with you and, and continue in our series here. Um, so, But before we keep going, I, I want to start off with a word of prayer. So let's go let's, uh, bow our heads for some prayer. Father God, we just thank you so much. For tonight, we thank you so much for the hope that we have in you, for the promises that we have in you. Father, we really, really, really couldn't do this without you. Father, we come to points in our lives where we're so desperate, where we're so helpless, and too often times we pull away from you during those times instead of turning our, our hearts to you. So Father, I pray as we... We dive into your text tonight, we dive into your word, and that we just hear your promises. Father, that we hold on to those promises, that they become true to us, and that you challenge us with those, and we, we learn to really lean on you and to draw close to you in the times that we are so desperate, Father, and even in the times where things seem like they're going great. So, Father, all the glory and praise goes to you tonight, and we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. All right, guys, like I said, I have a cold, so bear with me. I'll try not to cough all over you. Front row, you might be in the splatter zone here a little bit. But uh, we're continuing our series, uh, our sermon series titled, titled Responding to Circumstances. The series has been based on, uh, out of the book of Psalms, and that's simply because psalms speak directly to our hearts. Okay, uh, they're used to stir our souls, to draw out our emotions, to evoke worship. Uh, they were written by real people, mainly David. Uh, going through real situations, and so they are so very relatable when we when we look at them from a human perspective. Okay, uh, <clears throat> this is perfect for our series that we're going through uh, because it, it, it always amazes me how, through different circumstances in life, whatever we're facing, if we are diving into God's word for encouragement and guidance, we will often find ourselves in the Book of Psalms. Right? Jesus himself often quoted these songs that were written, and I think it's important that we do the same, not just to do it, but because, of, uh, because I think that it's important for us um, to realize the effect that they can have on our hearts, the words that we read, the truths that we read. And many would say that the Psalms, I've heard this said many times, that the Psalms are truly the backbone of the Old Testament, uh, let alone the entire scripture. Um, and I think because of that, it makes sense that they're where we go when we're facing all sorts of circumstances in our lives, good or bad, right? This series, we're talking about responding to circumstances, so it just makes sense. Psalms are just such a natural place to go, okay? And so I think it's important because Psalms draw our focus off of what's going on around us, and it puts it directly on God. It helps us wade through all the, everything that's going on, whether the chaos or the, or the, the blessings or whatever. It, just, it pulls our, our hearts and our focus off of that, and it puts it on God. And, and so I think it's a great place to go when we're learning to respond to, to circumstances. But it, this isn't to say or to try to minimize our circumstances or to say that they're not a big deal. 
okay? But rather, it gives us an avenue on how to respond to the circumstances, okay? Even when they're difficult. And that's why, is why these psalms were written as songs to sing. Because they deal with so many different circumstances that life will throw at us. They, they give readers and they give the writer the opportunity to come before God in praise, offering up our lives uh, uh, to him in worship, and oftentimes presenting lamentations to God. Last week, Chris talked about one of these circumstances that we face, and, and that was dealing with, with the idols that are pulling our attention away from God. Okay, this is a very, a very real circumstance that we all face today. Each and every day, I, I think this is a struggle for us, just as we saw it was for David. And Chris, Chris really took some time to unpack that. Uh, and it's so important to know how to turn to God and respond during those times, okay? So because Psalms address these real emotions and circumstances, I really want to continue to look at them tonight in our series, specifically in Psalms 42. So if you guys have your Bibles, you want to open up to Psalms 42. That's where we're going to be hanging out tonight. Um, but tonight I want to address, uh, address the circumstance of disappointment. How do we respond when we're disappointed? Okay, has anyone here ever felt disappointed before? Raise your hand. Okay, give you, give you a chance to respond. Everyone's felt disappointment, right? Guys, I, I know I have. <clears throat> there are times where I have felt like life has let me down, where I have let myself down, where others have let me down, and guys, if I'm being completely honest and transparent, where I felt even God has let me down. You been there? There have been times in my life where I, I, um, things tend to bottleneck. You know, everything kind of comes, comes to get, uh, happens all at once, and they bottleneck together, and in the difficult circumstances that uh, I am facing become too much where I, I just want to explode. Right? Simply put, there are times where I felt that life is just not fair. And it's hard to know what to do with that. It's hard to know how to respond in those circumstances, how, how, how to respond in our worship to God and our relationship with God and those around us. And, and I know you guys can relate to this because I, leading up to the sermon, I decided to do a little research, okay? I, I, I researched by, by polling my, my family and friends or friends on social media, people that are just, you know, linked to your account. And I, I, I put out a very simple question for them. It was, it was this, what are some things in your life that have left you feeling disappointed, even disappointed in God? Okay, and I even told them, be real. If you want to send me a private message instead of sharing it in front of everyone, please do that. I was really looking for authentic, real responses. And I got a lot of, a lot of really good responses, some that were too painful and too deep that they really didn't want to share in front of everyone, but that I had permission to share tonight. Um, so here, here's a list of disappointments that people responded with to me, either publicly or privately, okay? Maybe, maybe, and more than likely, probably, you can relate to one or multiple of these, okay? Uh, here's a few that I heard. Going through job interviews and feeling like you are a shoe-in and, and then getting that rejection call or letter. Felt like you are going to get the job. It didn't make sense that you wouldn't get the job, but you didn't. Going on a million first dates, but never a second one, so feeling like you aren't good enough for anybody. When people treat others less than human because they think them, they themselves are more important than others. It's pretty disappointing. One person said, I was disappointed in God when my, di when my dad died unexpectedly and far too young. 
Another person said, when we are having to say goodbye and bury children. It always has me disappointed in questioning God. Another person, in a nutshell, said, when friends let you down. People you love, people you trust, people you've put, you, you know, you, you care for and you love and you respect when they, when they return and let you down. And, in res- and also another part of that, and when, when you let those people down in your own life. Uh, another person said, so many first world atrocities that are going on. Uh, he went on to say, I would have to say when I anticipate God's hand to work a certain way, and it doesn't. Especially when my expectation seems right in line with bringing him glory and expanding his kingdom. Right? Like sometimes we have these ideas that of what God should do in a situation. It just makes sense. Why wouldn't God step up and do this? Why, why, why wouldn't he come through in a certain way? And he just doesn't. And we're left really disappointed. Uh, one person said struggling to get pregnant. Um, having a miscarriage, having multiple miscarriages. Uh, Another person said, I was looking for a community in the church but felt judged and shut out. Uh, When people don't jump on board and help with something you are very passionate about. A few different people said, um, mentioned getting a divorce. Um, last one I've got here is when non-Christians who preach against God seem to be more blessed than those who faithfully serve and glorify him. Looking around these people that, that are openly hateful towards God and Christians, but yet they seem to be more blessed. Leaves you feeling a little disappointed. Right? These were just some of the answers that were given. And I can promise you this, it, it's only such, it's a, just such a tiny sample of disappointments that people experience on a daily basis, right? In fact, if I took a similar survey here tonight, if we took some time to do that, I'm sure that not only would I get some of these same answers, but a whole other list of disappointments that you experience in your lives would pop up, right? We, we could spend hours doing this, right? Disappointment is something that we all experience, Okay, sometimes it's our own fault, right? Because we have misguided expectations of ourselves or of others or, or even of God. Other times we're disappointed in ourselves and, and how we've handled the situation or how we failed. And maybe, and other times that we're really, really disappointed in how someone has treated us or acted out. The, it, there's so many scenarios that we could talk about here, but, but so many times we have disappointments that really we just don't know how to handle because they don't seem to make any sense. I'm a very logical thinker. A lot of times when things happen or just in daily, daily occurrences, I just think through, through things logically. Have you ever noticed that sometimes life isn't so logical? There's just things that don't make sense. And they leave us feeling defeated. You guys with me on this? You, you got, can you relate with these human emotions I'm sharing with you guys? I think the fact that we all can relate tells us that this is a circumstance that it's very important to look to God's word and his truth to know how we should respond to. Okay, David understood this big time. King David understood this big time. Like I mentioned, we're going to be in Psalm 42, so let me set the stage for you just a little bit here, okay? There are a number of different kinds of psalms, and this one specifically is what we call a lament psalm, okay? This, that means that this is a song of complaint, questioning and petition to God, kind of like country music a little bit, okay? 
Um, in other words, it's a song that says what's wrong. It expresses the writer's thoughts of why it's wrong and, and their disappointment in the situation. And then it also seeks God out to make the situation right, okay? This type of psalm is actually the most common of the types of psalms that we find in the Bible. Okay, that doesn't mean David was a whiner, but it kind of does, right? There was a lot, he had a lot of laments to bring to God, things that he, he had uh, questions about and that he was disappointed with, okay? So chapter 42 is the beginning of what we call the interior psalms. And for, for David, the kingdom that had been, he had been given, that he had been promised and that had been passed down to him, it was in chaos, okay? His land, his people, and his authority had been uh, overrun by the Philistines, okay? And he did not like the Philistines. Okay, God's people were dying. They were being treated less than human. And the name of Yahweh was being tattered for the whole world to see. So when God had told David that he was going to be king, I can guarantee you these were not the circumstances that David expected. Right? When we're given a great responsibility or opportunity, we always desire the best outcome, don't we? You know, if we're put in charge of something, we want to look back on it and say, wow, that went the best it possibly could. David could not look at his situation and his leadership and say the same thing, guys. And so much of it was out of his control. He couldn't even do anything about it most of the time. That was what was so hard and frustrating. To say that he was disappointed would be an understatement, to say the least. <coughs> so think, think of that in your own lives. Have you ever been given an opportunity and you build it up in your head for what it's going to be, and then you get to the opportunity, and your expectations just never get met. Right? I think much of disappointment comes from this type of situation, unmet expectations. Unmet expectations in your job, uh, in a relationship, in a purchase, uh, in your, with your family or your friends. Unmet expectations. Leave us very disappointed. And, and we believe things should go one way and they go another and we can't under, uh, under, seem to understand why. This was David at this time. Okay, He had been chosen by God to be king of Israel and, and from the very beginning David lived out that role boldly giving all glory and praise to God. Okay, When he struck down the Philistine giant Goliath, he did so according to 1 Samuel 17 46 and he said so that the whole world would know that there is a God in Israel. Okay, his motivation was pure. He, he wanted not to lead not for his own glory, but for God's. And yet there he was in this constant struggle with his own people trying to kill him and, and with the Philistines taking over the kingdom God had promised him. His enemies were, were winning. And all the while, God's name is just getting slandered all over the world to see and made, it was being mocked and made fun of. Why would God place David in such a position if he wasn't able to lead well and have peace? Why would God put him in a position to just struggle and to be heartbroken all the time? He had unmet expectations, and it left him disappointed and feeling defeated. Okay, and he's very open and honest about this. Uh, so let's look together what he had to say in Psalm 42, starting in verse 1. <coughs> 1 and 2 says this, As the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you, my God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When can I go and meet with him? All right, so here we see a specific longing in, in David's heart, okay? And that's simply just to be with his heavenly father, okay? 
David mentions a, a deer who is panting, searching for a stream of water to survive. He uses, the, he uses this image to say, God, this is my desire for you, okay? Only you, God, can give me the life that I need. My soul thirsts for you because you are the only one, the only one true God who is living and who gives life. Then David asks a, a peculiar question, okay? He, he asks this, when can I go and meet God? When can I go and meet my God? Okay, so here we get a picture of the specific circumstance that David is responding to in this psalm. Okay, because of the destruction that had come to Israel, David was unable to go to the temple to dwell in the presence of God, to spend time in fellowship with him, and to worship. Okay, you get this sense of desperation, of thirst that is so deep but can't seem to be quenched. And all David wants is that sip of living water that only God can provide him, but he can't get it. Okay, have you ever been extremely, extremely thirsty where you're, you're just desperate to get some water? Man, I remember uh, in high school playing football two days, like in August, and it would be like 95 degrees out, and we'd be out there for four hours straight playing, and, and we'd get some water breaks and stuff, but by the end of it, I was just so utterly exhausted, and I would drink a bunch of water back in the locker room. I would go home, and I had like one of those giant like big gulp mug things at my house, like 44 ounces or whatever. I'd fill that with ice and water, and I would drink like two of those in like a half an hour. I don't even know if that's healthy, but I did it. And that was like every single day, right? I was just so thirsty. I just had such a need for water in my life. I couldn't seem to get enough of it. So if I was in those moments of desperation of water and I could not get it, I don't know how I would handle that. Okay, and this is how David was feeling. He needed water, but not just any water. Water for his soul that only God could provide. And he felt like he was dying without it. And he longed to be in God's presence once again, just as a deer desired to drink water that is desperately needed. Uh, a few years back, um, I, I decided to get my Bible refinished. Okay, I, I got a Bible, a study Bible, when I graduated high school. My aunt bought it for me. And um, it, this, my study Bible had been something that I, had, I just began carrying with me everywhere I went. Yeah, I went off to Bible college every single day along with like 18 other books. I would have my Bible, study Bible in with me. Um, and then being in ministry, all these youth trips I would go on with kids to out in the woods and mountains and camps and stuff, I would carry this study Bible with me. So needless to say, after about 12, 10, 11 years, 12 years, the thing wasn't looking very good. Pages were falling out. The, the cover was just destroyed. And so uh, my dad decided he, um, that he would for my birthday and Christmas or something, he said, hey, I'll help you pay for this. So I, I found a company that would refinish Bibles. And I, I, um, they did an awesome job. They pressed the pages out. They restitched it. They put like real cowhide leather on it. They customized it, made it look like my old Bible, but better. And um, it, was, it was an awesome, awesome thing. But let me tell you something about my Bible. I brought it with me everywhere. That was my, I, that was my like, my refuge, Okay, I, I went to, that was where I studied. I know there are other Bibles out there, but they weren't mine. Like, I, I had all my notes and study, and all these hours have been poured into this thing. So when I had to send it off, the catch was it was going to take 13 weeks. And I had to release that. 
and, and I sent it off, and it, when it was gone, all I wanted that entire time, like I was checking the mailbox every single day, and actually ended up taking about 15 and a half weeks, I think is what, about exactly what it was. I remember, because, and, and I, w- I wanted my Bible so desperately, because even though I, I'm pretty sure I have like nine or ten of them, it, it, I, that was mine, right? That was my refuge. That was the time I spent with God. That's where I went for, for, for life and, and comfort. And, and I know maybe that wasn't all that healthy of a thing for me. Maybe I put too much stock in the Bible and not God's word. Well, that's a different issue. I'll tackle that later. But, uh, but for me, I, I kind of get this desperation that David was feeling because all he wanted to do was go to the temple. It's not that he couldn't worship God where he was at, but he wanted to go to the temple. That's where he met God. That's where he, he spent time in prayer and worship and all these things, and that's what he, that's what he desired deeply. And so I, I kind of understand where he's at here, okay? And, and so this, it's not, I understand it's not the exact same circumstance, but, but it was, like I said, the Bible was a refuge for me, a place where I could feel I could spend time with God. So, um, David kind of responds this way. Uh, um, he can, he's going down this way when he couldn't get to the temple. This is how he, he keeps talking about this. Verse 3. My tears have been my food all day and night while people say to me all day long, where is your God? Okay, we even get a, a better, a more clear picture of David's circumstance here in this verse. He expresses how his grief has been what is feeding him and sustaining his life. That sounds like the worst diet ever, by the way. Okay, just, just um, tears, like that, that's what he's living off of, so I know he, he's not being literal. You guys are supposed to laugh at that, but that's okay. Uh, but, but have you ever felt like that, right? Like that, that the only thing that you have in life is grief and despair. Have you ever been that, into that point in your life where the only thing you feel is like is that you're living off of is grief and despair? Right? That's David in this moment. Not only that, but people are throwing salt into David's wounds, asking him, well, if your God is so great, where is he at? You, pr- you tell me about this God, this Yahweh, but your enemies have overrun everything. Your kingdom is in ca- chaos. Nothing is going your way. So where is this God? Life is a way of taking our disappointments and rubbing them in and making them worse, doesn't it? Satan loves this, by the way, right? He takes our desperation and he gives us even, uh, he, he throws us even deeper into the pit, Right? He does this in so many ways. Sometimes he, he uses other people's joys to highlight our hurts. Right? You see how blessed other people are, but you're just stuck in your pain. You're like, how is this fair? Man, that person got that job. Why didn't I get that job? You know, that, that, per, that, fam, those, that couple, they have seven kids. I can't, we can't, my wife and I can't get pregnant. You know, uh, man, look at all these relationships. These people that treat their, you know, their significant other horribly, and yet here I am with a pure heart, and I just want to be in a relationship, and I can't find one. Right? Sometimes Satan uses that against us, other people's joys, to highlight our hurts. Um, other times, I, I call it the trial of threes. You notice things tend to happen in threes. Like when one bad thing happens, two more will follow it. I, uh, pastor, a friend of mine, uh, my last church, he was our senior pastor. He said he's been in ministry for 30-something years. And he said he always, he's, he could t- document how bad things happen in threes. He's like, when one thing happens, I always just prepare my heart for two more. So with other pain that's going to happen in the congregation or the community. And it, it's like clockwork. It's crazy. I don't know what it is, but it, it's a thing. So it, sometimes it, uh, bad things happen and they pile up on each other, right? And so a hurt becomes highlighted by another hurt. And it just gets worse and worse. Um, other times, <coughs> excuse me, um, this happens by using 
Um, Satan uses other people to question God when you're trying to, with every ounce that you, you have, to not do that yourself, right? That's kind of what's going on, right, with David, right? Um, so that's David right here. He's already struggling and people are asking, where is this great God of yours? And you know what? You know what? In David's heart, he had to be asking the same thing. Our disappointments lead us to ask a lot of questions where the only answers we seem to be able to find only make it worse. You guys know what I mean? Have you guys been here just like David? But here's the thing. David has been in this situation before. Okay, and he offers up to us a remedy. Okay, he offers up to us in this song a solution that he has found that helps him in, this times of, in these times of disappointment, and he sings it out to God. And I think we should really learn to do the same, and we should listen and follow suit so we know how to respond in these circumstances the way that David shows us to. Verse 4 says this, These things I remember as I pour out my soul. How I used to go to the house of God under the protection of the mighty one with shouts of joy and praise among the festive throng. These things I remember. Hold on to that word remember. Okay, David says this as he pours out his soul to God. Yes, he is struggling. Yes, he's having a hard time with this, uh, with this disappointment. All he wants to be uh, is with God. And, and that's something noble, right? It doesn't seem like he's asking too much. He just wants to spend time with God. Okay, so what does he do? He remembers. Okay, he remembers how he used to go to the temple, how we used to spend time in the presence of God, and how much joy and elation that used to cause in his life. He remembered that God is so good and that God fills him in a way that nothing else can. He has a heart of remembrance and thanksgiving, and David realizes that God hasn't changed even if his circumstances have changed. Okay, he realizes that. He's like, I know things are rough, but my God is the same. He has not changed a bit. That God I went and worshipped in that temple, that's the same God I still worship. He remembers that God is still the same God that quenches his soul like nothing else can, and it sustains him. I've gotten the honor to officiate, you know, a few handfuls of funerals in my life so far. And one thing that happens during funerals, especially for people who have put their hope in Jesus, is that a time of mourning and sadness becomes a time of rejoicing and praise. Have you guys ever gotten to experience this? My favorite part in these solemn occasions is to hear about the stories of remembrance of the joy that came from that person's life, and even the times of struggle and disappointment that God had come in and he had redeemed. You see, in our most desperate times, we still have good memories to hold on to, and they help sustain us and give us strength during times of pain and struggle. Even when things are hard, our, our God is still good. That doesn't change. And David understood this, and that really is the heart of this psalm. While he was so desperate to be with God once again, he remembered the times he had with God and remembered that God was still the same and that he would never change. And he continues this thought in the next verse, in verse 5, he says, Why, my soul, are you so downcast? Why are you so disturbed within me? But he responds, he says, Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. David sings out, a question that he already knows the remedy to. He, si- he sings out a, dis- a disappointment that he has, but he knows the remedy. Why are you hurting so badly, my heart? 
Why are you feeling so broken? David knows why. But he also knows the remedy. And his answer is very simple. Put your hope in God. That's how he responds. He knows his heart's hurting because he can't go spend time in the temple. So what does he do? He puts his hope in God. He doesn't put his hope in the circumstance. He puts it in God. In times of struggle, in times of disappointment, turn your hope not to this world, not to your circumstances, not to what you can try and fix, uh, try to do and fix things by yourselves, but turn it to God. Because if we have a heart of remembrance, we will know that God is in control. We will know that God is good. We will know that uh, God sent Jesus to this earth to suffer the cross for us so that we can and will have life, both here on earth and eternal. Verse 6 says, My soul is downcast within me, therefore I will remember you from the land of the Jordan to the the heights of Hermon from Mount Mazar. You see, David is so self-aware, okay? He knows his heart is struggling with disappointment. He knows his own condition. He doesn't say that this is bad, and we should never think of it as being bad just to know you're struggling, right? Sometimes we need the comfort of knowing that God has has enough grace and big enough shoulders to handle our pain so that we can share with him our disappointments and struggles and he can take it. Sometimes we need that comfort of knowing that his grace is sufficient and that that we can bring our pains and struggles to him. That's exactly what David did. He understood this. So he boldly proclaimed it to God uh, himself. He, he, he didn't stop there. He, he gives us this remedy, but then he continues to speak about his, his brokenness in his heart. Um, verse 7 through 10, it says this. Deep calls to deep in the roar of your waterfalls. All your waves and breakers have swept over me. By day the Lord directs his love. At night his song is with me, a prayer to the God of my life. I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why must I go about mourning, oppressed by the enemy? My bones suffer mortal agony as my foes taunt me, saying to me all day long, where is your God? You see, David doesn't hold back here. He knows, like I said, he already knows the remedy. He knows what's going on, but he doesn't hold back. He lets, he lets God understand his true heart here, okay? He's honest with God. His soul is in turmoil. He feels helpless and out of control, but David knows that God isn't. David knows that God has this situation in hand. Verse 11, he says, Why, my soul, are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? He repeats those questions. And he repeats the remedy. Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. Once again, David gives us his answer. Put your hope in God. And praise him. Remember who God is. Don't ever let your circumstances lead you to forget that God is in control always. Okay, God's got this. Your situation that you have, that you're struggling, where you're really disappointed, God's got it in control. He's not thrown off guard. Something doesn't happen in your life and God doesn't say, oh man, what am I going to do now? Okay, God is always in control. We sang a song just a few minutes ago about how God is sovereign. Guys, he is. He's got the situation. I know it's really hard to understand and feel sometimes, but we can know that God has already conquered all of this through Jesus. Okay? I want you to understand that your disappointments, they're real. Okay, they're real. Don't feel bad for having them, guys. David sure didn't. David didn't feel bad about having disappointments. He was real with himself and he was real with God. You need to understand your pain and why you're feeling it. And you need to understand that God desires for you to bring those things to him, okay? They won't catch him off guard because he already knows your heart. Okay, God, the God of the universe, he knows your heart. 
He knows your situation. He knows your disappointments. And he cares for you so much that he sent us on Jesus to die on a cross to conquer all of it. Jesus himself tells us in John 16, he says, in this world, you will have trouble, but take heart because I have overcome that world. And so what I think we can learn from the Psalm of David is that disappointment, disappointment is real and the pain is intense. But he gives us an example of how to respond to that pain to the circumstances, and that is to always put your hope in God and to remember him in times of pain. In other words, just two words, know and remember. remember write those words on your heart. Know and remember. You're feeling pain? Know and remember. When you're struggling and you're feeling the weight of disappointment, know and remember that God is pursuing you. When you feel the struggle of knowing how to handle unmet, uh, of not knowing how to um, handle unmet expectations in your life, know and remember that God has you in the palm of his hand and that he is your prince of peace. Uh, when you feel desperate for a, for a change because what you're facing right now seems too much to handle, know and remember that God has already overcome this world and that our hope is in him, which is so much greater. How amazing is it that we have a God that we can know and remember. Think about that. We have a God, creator of all the universe, the Alpha and the Omega. We get to know him. We get to know him. We get to know him personally. We get to have a relationship with him, and we get to remember how good he is and remember who he truly is at, at any time, especially when things are hard. And we can have a God that we get to know and remember and who will, who will tr never truly let us down because he has conquered it all. How amazing is that? And isn't it amazing that God is so approachable about it? Right? He doesn't make us jump through all these hoops. Right? David brought his hurts and dis disappointments to God, and we can do the same. Okay? In fact, he desires it. God designed us to live at peace with him. Sin and struggle get in the way uh, and, and distort that, right? But Christ has overcome that. Therefore, we are free to bring our hearts to God and to put our trust in him. And here's the truth that I hope that you guys find in this sermon series, not just tonight, but through all of this on how to respond to circumstances. And that's this. In every circumstance, we have a choice to either draw near to God or to draw away from him. And I'm afraid far too often we as a people choose to draw away from God when he is tr truly our only hope that we have in this world. But his grace is sufficient. David gives us an example to know and to remember God, and I believe this draws us to him every single time. Know who he truly is and remember what he's done for you. The band's going to come up. This whole series, each week, we've been spending some time in communion. And guys, communion is an opportunity to remember what Jesus did for us on the cross. Guys, I don't know if you have realized this about man and our flesh, but we make a habit of forgetting. Go all the way back to, to Adam and Eve. Right? They were dwelling in perfect peace with God in, in the garden, and they forgot about his goodness. They forgot that, that, that God was all he needed. And they went outside of that. They said, no, I need more. And they forgot the promises they had with God. They forgot how good they had it. And they chose to go outside of that. You can look throughout the history of man and throughout scripture. And we've, man has made a habit of forgetting. And so Jesus sets this, this, this 
practice for us to do to take time to remember him. Because here's the thing, in our life, we need that. We need to be able to take time to remember what Jesus did for us during the times of struggle so we can get through the day. When we're feeling disappointed, we need to be able to remember the hope that we have in Jesus. And we're really bad at it sometimes. So he gives us this this practice of communion where we go and take a piece of bread over here and and we dip, uh, which represents the body that he sacrificed for us. And we dip it in the juice and we, we eat it to remember the blood that he shed for us. To remind us that even though in this world we have trouble, he has overcome it. That we, God, that, that we can remember that God is not changed by our circumstances. The pain and struggle, God is still good. He's still in control. And we can get through those situations because of that. And it helps us remember him and gives us an opportunity to praise him and to worship him because of that. Because he's good. And because he's worthy. So as the, the band's going to play for a little bit, and I want to give you an opportunity. I'm going to pray here in a second. But you can just go up as you want and take communion. It's an open table. You guys are, are free to walk up here and do that yourself. Um, and then we'll spend some, a little bit more time in worship, and we'll close out tonight. But I really hope you guys can understand that we have a God that's so approachable. He's so good. He wants to take your disappointments. He wants to take your pain, and he wants to give you hope. Hold on to that. Know and remember. Let's pray. Father God, we just thank you so much for your son, Jesus and the hope that we have through him. Father, I ask for forgiveness for when I forget how good you are, when I'm forgetful of you. Father, but we have the opportunity tonight to come together as a fellowship, as a body, to remember your son Jesus and what he did for us, to remember your goodness, to remember how approachable you are, that we can come to you with our heartaches and our, our pains and our struggle, and that you'll grab us and you'll hold on to us and you'll say, I've got this. Father, we thank you for the hope that we have in you. And it's only in you. Father, may we know you and remember you as we move forward. Praise these things in Son Jesus' name.